Welcome to the Messiah Podcast. We are so glad you tuned in today. Whether you are driving, doing chores, or taking a walk, we hope the Lord quiets your head and your heart to hear truth and be challenged through His Word. Without further ado, let's dive into the message. I'd like to take a minute and just uh, say thank you to all of our veterans. And if you are a veteran here today, would you rise so we can just honor you and say thank you for your service? We are so very grateful for all of you. Uh, This last week I saw my dad, and my dad wears his Army veteran hat uh, every day. And uh, it was just precious seeing him with his his hat on as well as a veteran. Well, grab a Bible, if you will, start turning over to Genesis chapter 5. And we've been in this series on the life of Joseph. We're getting, uh, we're kind of wrapping up. We've got a couple more weeks in Joseph's life. And if you're just joining us, I want to maybe bring you along so that you understand where we are in the story. When Joseph was 17 years old, his brothers sold him into slavery down to Egypt. They were jealous of him. He was a favored son. They sold him into slavery, and now he was down in Egypt. For 13 years, he was a slave, and then he was actually in prison. He was falsely accused of assault and rape. And he went into a dungeon for quite a few years. We don't know how many years. Uh, But he spent that time down there. And then the Pharaoh had a dream, two dreams. And Joseph was called up. He told, Pharaoh told him the dreams. He interpreted the dreams saying that we're going to have seven great years. And then we're going to have seven years of famine. And Pharaoh actually put him in the number two position. So it's 22 years later. That's the time frame from when Joseph was 17. He's now 22 years later, so that's 39. He hasn't seen his brothers since then. His dad thought he was dead because that's what he was led to believe by his brothers. And then his brother showed up. And that was last week, I believe. When his brother showed up, it did some things inside Joseph. And you might recall, he spoke very harshly to his brothers. And I would imagine he began the process of just processing through 22 years of what life has done, where it's taken him, where he was. And then after that, his brothers came back for a second journey. And that's where we're starting today. So when they come back the second time, His younger brother Benjamin, only Joseph and Benjamin, were sons of Rachel and and Jacob. Uh, Rachel had other wives, but Rachel had only Joseph and Benjamin, born to uh, to, uh, Jacob in his old age. And Benjamin shows up. And that's when it pushed Joseph, like, right over the edge. So that's kind of where we're starting They don't know who he is. Uh, Actually, if you're in 45, I'm going to bring you back just for a moment um, to, bear with me, I thought it was 42. Okay, we'll skip that. We'll just start at 45. So Joseph is with his brothers. 
And it starts out, then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Bear with me today. Uh, this is a challenging message for me. Because things have happened in the last 10 days of my life that I could not have anticipated. And some things that we're going to read today, um, I see how God used these circumstances over these last 10 days and converged them with this. So about 10 days ago, I got a phone call that my mom had fallen. My mom's 84. Fell off a chair, broke her femur, severed, completely severed it. So she had surgery, six-hour surgery to, to fix it. And uh, I went to Chicago to be with her and my dad during this time. And my mom didn't do real well coming out of surgery. And so as the days progressed, she had surgery on Friday. Saturday, she was descending. Sunday, she had really taken a turn bad. And Sunday evening, when we gathered together, we said goodbye to my mom. She didn't die, so I'll, I'll just go there for a moment. She didn't die. But when I read Joseph could no longer control himself, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. It's rare that I cry, but when I was at my mom's bedside, I prayed for my mom. I didn't pray long, or maybe I should say my prayer was actually short, but it was the longest prayer I've ever prayed because it took me a long time to get through a simple prayer. Part of that prayer was just acknowledging I stand here today as a preacher because of my mom's love for Jesus. And she poured into me all those years when I was younger. Every morning I'd come down and I'd see my mom with a Bible open. And we would talk and she just poured into me and really developed the faith at a very young age inside of me. And I know a lot of you have walked this path. But for me to be my, by my mom's bedside saying goodbye, and when I gave her a kiss that night, I was trying to be encouraging. I said, I'll see you tomorrow. And her response to me was, I don't think so. So um, Monday was a, or Sunday was a long night. And uh, we were just waiting for a phone call. Never came. Monday, walked in and she was awake, alert. I said, Mom, it's good to see you. She said, well, the Lord spoke clearly to me during the night and told me, not yet. Not your time yet. So my mom's in rehab right now. She's recovering. Uh, but, you know, when I read, Joseph couldn't control himself. And he wept. Um, wow. Um, 
Did I experience that last Sunday? Hardest thing. Hardest thing in my life. So then Joseph, let's go on. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers weren't able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Can you, can you put these two together? Joseph's weeping, and they have no idea why. They're like, wow, this guy's really crying. I mean, everybody can hear him weeping. What is up? And then he says, I'm Joseph. I think all of us have things in our past that we hope never get discovered. Right? There's just things, mistakes, regrets, decisions, whatever it is. 22 years ago, they made the decision to sell Joseph as a slave, and now they're standing in front of Joseph, and he's number two in command. With all the power, all the authority to do whatever he wanted to to his brothers. You can imagine why they're so terrified. Like, oh my goodness. This is the one we thought we got rid of, and now he's standing in front of us, and they were terrified. Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. You think they wanted to? For real? No. But when they had done so, I'm sure they were pushing the younger ones in first, you know. Then he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. A little reminder. Remember you did this? You sold me into into slavery. But then he says this incredible thing. And now don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. Look at the next two words. But God. I love it when the Bible does that. Because it doesn't matter what's going on in life. And then you add, but God... And God is able to take any circumstance and turn it into something good. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for your remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Okay, back to my week. So while my mom's in surgery, my dad falls asleep. And my sister decided this would be the great opportunity for her to talk to me. You ever wonder why things happen in your life that you don't understand? Have you ever done that? You look back, you're like, there's a lot of things in my life I can't make sense of. So I started asking my sister questions. We kept going back, kept going back, kept going back. Until I was five. I don't remember five. My sister starts telling me all these things that happened starting at age five. And then all of a sudden, things start to make a little more sense in my life. And then more things make sense, and more things make sense. 
And God takes me back to this time that I don't even remember in my life, so how can I reflect on it? And set me on a trajectory, which is why I'm standing here today. Not an easy trajectory. Wouldn't wish it on anybody. But I didn't know much about it. She filled in the blanks. And I said, how about when I was eight? What happened? She told me, filled in the blanks. It's funny how your mind sometimes can shut things out. What happened when I was 12? What happened? What happened? And we just kept going, and all of a sudden, it was one of those moments in my life that, like, the fog lifts. I didn't realize that God was, like, going deep inside of me. So intersperse that, that was Friday, you know. Intersperse that with my mom. And then I just uh, woke up, you're not surprised, about four in the morning. And I went for a long walk. And boy, I tell you what, I was thinking about this story. I was thinking about what I just learned. I was thinking about my mom. I was thinking about all these things. And I just feel like, Boy, God was doing some of the deepest, hardest work in my life ever. By then, a coffee house was open, and I just grabbed a cup of coffee and sat down. I read through the whole story of Joseph. I'm like, Lord, I know you're, you're teaching me. You're showing me. You're, you want me to see things that I haven't seen before. So I tell you as I teach about Joseph today, I'm just relating to it. See, look at verse 8. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. There's that but God again. He made me father to Pharaoh and lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. I'm sure you can do the same, but when you look back and you don't understand, and it doesn't make sense, but then you see where God has you now, me being here with you, and seeing the things that God has us doing. For the first time in my life, and I'm almost 60, first time in my life I can look back and go, I think I finally understand. I think I understand why. And I would go back to those two words, but God. God's hand was in this. So this week, I didn't want to tell you any of this. So I said to Matt, I think you should preach. He's like, I got Alpha all day Saturday. I still want you to preach. I don't want to preach Sunday. Well, here I am. So forgive me for just being so raw with you today. So our story goes on. Verse 9, now hurry back to my father in Israel. Say to him, this is what your son Joseph said. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you, your children, and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. 
You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it's really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you've seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. Okay, you can read that next section. But jump down to verse 25. So they went up out of Egypt, and they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. Okay, I want to pause. I bet that was the worst trip ever. Because they led their father to believe that Joseph was killed by an animal. They knew the truth. For 22 years, they've been hiding the truth from their dad. And now they're going to go to their dad and say, uh, Joseph's alive. We just saw him. And you can imagine the conversation after a while. The father, Jacob, is going to go, didn't you boys tell me he was attacked by ferocious animal? And I'm sure that that was not a pretty scene. I'm sure that would have been a very difficult thing for them to do and for Jacob to hear. So verse 26, they told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he's ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He didn't believe him. But, there's that word again, when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. 22 years. They saw something different in Jacob because he thought Joseph was dead. Some of you have lost kids. Some of you have gone through that pain that nobody knows about. There's a part of your spirit that might feel like Jacob did, dead. A part of you that's just like, there's a part not the same, and it never will be the same this side of heaven. So that when he found out that his son actually was alive, his spirit revived. Israel said, I'm convinced. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Incredible story. Start turning over to Acts chapter 2. Acts in the New Testament, chapter 2. See, every story in the Old Testament points us back to Jesus. Sometimes when you hear the truth, and that's what I heard this last week from my sister, sometimes when you hear the truth, it goes deep into you and does something to you, especially when you haven't made sense of it, and now you're starting to make sense of it. And it, and it impacts your life significantly. That was my experience. Oftentimes there's a change. Well, in Acts chapter 2, 
Let's just read this. I'm at verse 22. Peter's talking and he says this. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God, there it is again. See, later on, we could actually use the same thing that we can with Joseph. That the Israelites were given the truth that they killed Jesus. They killed him. That's a heavy truth. How would you like to live with that truth? How would you like to live with the truth that they had to bear? Like, they killed God's son. They killed him. Nailed him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now jump down to verse 36. Peter says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Let's just pause. That's a great expression. They were cut to the heart. We might use the word convicted. We might want to use the word just changed, ripped inside. Something happened inside of them that went right to their heart. And they realized that they were guilty. See, there's no repentance until there's the feeling of guilt. And oftentimes what God will do in our life is face us with the truth of our sin. Because it's not until we face the truth of sin that we realize that we need a Savior to save us from the sin. It's too easy to think, hey, I'm a good person. What do I need God for? And then we come to the truth that we're a sinner. And oftentimes God will make it so blatantly honest to us that we're like, man, I'm despicable. I am a sinner. And I need a Savior. So verse 17 again, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They don't know what to do with their guilt of crucifying Jesus. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Here it is. For the forgiveness of your sins. God is gentle, but God is direct. And every one of us stand before God messed up. You might recall me saying this. It's just an analogy I heard a long time ago. That if I give you a glass of clean water, 
and asked you to drink it, you would. But if I took a little manure, just a tiny bit, so, such a small smidgen, and put it in the water and gave it to you, I'm guessing nobody would drink it because now it's spoiled. It's not pure. And not the whole glass is messed up, just a small piece, but it spoils the whole. You see, it doesn't take a lot of sin to be like that glass of water. It takes how many? One. And when we come to that realization that we can say, well, I'm 99% good. Great. Would you drink the water? Because it's 99% good. No. Because I'm not drinking a glass of water with a piece of manure in it. I'm just not going to do it. And that's how it is with us and God. It's not the 99 good things you did. It's that one thing that spoils us before God. And it spoils us to the point that we can't get to heaven. And when you come to that realization that you can't get to heaven, no matter how hard you try, no matter how good you are, no matter if it's 999,999 pure and one tiny little piece of manure, bad. That negates us. That's the hard truth. And that's why Jesus came. Because does it matter in that glass if there's just a small piece or lots? Does it matter? You're not drinking it, spoiled. Does it matter if you're a little sinner or a lot of sinner? You're still messed up. Because nobody's pure but Christ alone. And it's when we come to that realization that we need Christ it causes us to do what they did, repent. You know what that means? Instead of running away from God, we turn and we run towards God. And we say to God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And you know what's amazing about God? This is what's amazing. He's like a purifier takes that glass of water with no matter how much you have in your life of manure. God is able to purify it. Completely purify it. See, someday when we stand before God, you may feel like you're standing before God with some of that manure in your life, and you're going to stand before God and He's going to see you as purified because of what Christ did for you. Not what you did. You can't do it. But God is the purifier, which is why he said, we are to repent and be baptized, every one of us, in the name of Jesus Christ. And here's what God gives us, the forgiveness of our sins. Purifies us from all unrighteousness. No matter your past, no matter what you've done, no matter what others have done to you, no matter where you are, I would encourage you today 
Today's a new day. When you come up for communion, pause and tell God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And you know, when you take communion, it is for the forgiveness of our sins. You will be completely cleansed for a new day. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, there's so much in our life we have no control over. And God, we're sinners. Standing before you right now, we're just sinners. We're messed up. We've said things, done things, thought things, acted on things, responded to things, responded to others, whatever it is, God. We stand before you as a church this morning in repentance and ask God that you would forgive us our sin. Forgive us for all of our sin, God. Purify us so that as we stand in your presence, we stand in your presence cleaned and forgiven. We're so grateful, Jesus, that you came down to this earth and you allowed sinners like us to crucify you. And then you were raised three days later to forgive us for all of our sins and open up heaven where we can go be with you forever. We can take no credit for it, zero. It's all because of your grace and your love for us. And we just, today, we want to say we're sorry and we want to say thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Thank you for tuning in today. We hope you are challenged and encouraged to walk in truth in your everyday. Please share with friends and family, and we can't wait to have you next time on the Messiah Podcast.